This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Hey, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 today. If you're new, we've been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And one of the highlights of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to actually take two weeks, this week and next week, to talk about the, the Lord's Prayer. It's just so foundational to our, our lives in Christ, and we need to learn what this prayer is, is all about and why Jesus gave it, it to us. So let's dig in. Um, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at just um, two verses of Scripture today, verses 9 and 10. Matthew 6, and let's look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we pray that as we dig into this prayer that our Lord gave us, that she would teach us more about prayer, about, about a walk with you, part of which is, is communing with you daily in prayer. Lord, we, we pray that you would deliver us from our, our spirit of self-reliance and that you would, you would cause us to depend upon you day by day, moment by moment. We pray that you would make today and next week just incredibly helpful to us as we lear- learn more about a walk with you through prayer. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, this week was Valentine's Day, and uh, we were talking a lot, of, thinking a lot about love and marriage. And it's, it's funny, it's funny how, how much men and women learn about one another when they live uh, with, with with one another over a number of, of years. And, and one of the things that Melissa and I have discovered in our marriage, and I don't know if this holds true for any other husbands and wives here, but. Uh, we have learned that she is a lot better at finding things in the house than than me. Um, and it, whether it's in the closet or the pantry or or the refrigerator, and I cannot tell you how many times in our marriage I have opened the refrigerator door and just stood staring into the refrigerator and I'm scanning the shelves and I'm looking for something and finally I just, I call out for help. Hey honey, can you, can you come? I don't, or, or, or even I'll say, I think we're out of, out of this or that. And uh, she comes and, you know, in, uh, in within two seconds or less than two seconds, she has located the missing item. Uh, it was there all along. It was like right in front of me. 
and I read something recently that kind of made me feel a little bit better about the situation. And this is, a, this is an article by a guy named Micah Tobe. And the title of the article was Gaining Clarity Over Male Refrigerator Blindness. <laughs> Micah writes, I have stared into the fridge observed a jumble of differently shaped objects of various colors and collapsed from mental exhaustion. Where's the mustard? I called to the other room. It's in the open your eyes section, <laughs> is the usual reply. Well, we can all be about the Bible the same way that a lot of guys are about stuff in the refrigerator. We can ignore what is right in front of us. We can ignore the obvious. And, and one, of the, one of the things that we do, especially when we read the Gospels, is we can overlook the sheer volume of words that Jesus devotes to the subject of prayer. He must have thought this was really, really important to our lives because Jesus just talks about prayer all the time. Um, in, in fact, prayer for us as believers should be as natural as breathing, except it's not. Because what we default to, unless, we're, unless we fight against this, is that we default to self-reliance we do not naturally default to dependence upon God. We don't default to prayer. We default to, to self-reliance, and, and that, that immediately going to self-reliance instead of going to God in prayer is so deeply ingrained in all of us. And as that great philosopher Yoda once said, you must unlearn what you have learned. We need to unlearn defaulting to self-reliance, and we must learn to depend upon God, and that means learning about walking with Him through prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer is not just suddenly dropped into the Sermon on the Mount out of nowhere. It flows very naturally from what we saw last week in verses 7 and 8. So let's review that. Jesus says there, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. So Jesus here in verses 7 and 8 talks about how the, the, the pagans would sort of, in their prayers, they would, as we talked about last week, they would sort of pile up the names of all of their gods or goddesses because if they left one out, they were afraid that they might take vengeance up upon them. And so there was always a sense of, of, of insecurity and fear when these people prayed. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this about sort of those, those pagan prayers. He describes them as long, complicated, magic words which they would repeat over and over in their anxiety to persuade some god or goddess to be favorable to them. Such prayers are often marked by a note of uncertainty. There were many divinities in the ancient world, and nobody, knew, nobody quite knew which one might need pacifying next or with what formula. 
And so when these, when these Gentiles, these pagan people would, would pray, like there was always a sense of uncertainty and anxiety and fear. And what Jesus is saying here in verses 7 and 8 is that when you come before God, you don't have to be like that because you know God is your father. And more importantly, he knows you as his child in Christ and therefore, he knows your needs so intimately. In fact, he knows your needs even before you ask him. And what that means is that we can come before God as a father simply and directly and intimately. And that's what Jesus is really modeling here in this, in this prayer. So let's, let's dive into it. And what we're going to do is sort of take it phrase by phrase as we, as we go through. First of all, How do we address our Father in heaven? Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our our Father in heaven. Note that he is our Father. Jesus presumes that his followers are going to be connected to other followers of Christ. The, The concept of sort of just me and God alone and not part of a church family, like that's not found in the New Testament. And so he's not just my father, he's our father, and he is our father. The word here is Abba which was a, a tender, intimate term that would, would only be used in the context of a family. It would be almost like daddy or, or papa. And so Jesus is saying here that, that because we, are, we, we, we know him in that way and that he knows us, that we, we don't have to live in fear. He knows our needs Matthew chapter 10 and verses 29 and and following, Jesus says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And because he is our father who loves us, he delights to answer our prayers. We're going to see later on in in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 and verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. Now, when we think about being able to call God our Father, we need to remember what has happened to enable us to call him our Father. Because by nature, he wasn't our Father. Ephesians 2 tells us that by nature, we were children of wrath. We were under the, under the, the wrath of God. But what happened? God gave his son, and and, and Jesus on the cross took the, the righteous wrath of God against sin that we deserved. And Jesus took it on himself, and he was raised from the dead so that we could be reconciled to God, and so that we could be adopted as children of God, which is who we are. Romans 8 and verse 15, Paul says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 7. Paul says, Now, 
you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And so we need to understand that when we come before God, we are, we are becoming, we're coming before our Father as his very own sons and, and daughters. And if we don't understand that, then we don't understand the gospel. J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. John Anwucheka in his book on prayer says, this is the blessing of the fatherhood of God to us. It's not for those who are perfect or elite. None of us is the star athlete, the successful entrepreneur, or the articulate artist whom other fathers are envious to have. Rather, we are the prodigal son, squandering our God-given dignity on things that don't satisfy. We are children desperately in need of a father willing to constantly give unconditional love because we constantly fail at all the conditions. God alone can be this kind of father to us. But listen, he is not just our father. He is our father in heaven. Now, when we pray this, very important that we understand this. When we pray our father in heaven, in heaven is not a reference to his location. <laughs> Sometimes we can think that, right? When we pray the Lord's prayer, our father in heaven, you know, we're here and God's up there. That's not what this is talking about. In heaven is not a reference to God's location. It is a reference to his power. To his power. Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, the in heaven part is a reference to the fact that God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful, that God is an authority, that our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. It's a reference to the, the power of God, right? Not to his location, not that he's up there and that we're down, down here. That's not what it means. Again, uh, John Onwuchek is so on point with this. Our Father in heaven sets the backdrop of our prayers. These first four words teach us that God is as compassionate as he is capable. He can do anything. And because Jesus' sacrificial death makes Christians a part of his family, we know that he listens and is inclined to respond favorably to what we ask. There's no court of appeals that can undo the decisions he makes. We have the ear of the most powerful being in and over the universe. So when you pray our Father in heaven, that should set the tone for everything because first of all, he's your Father and he loves you and he's compassionate toward you. And second, he is your Father in heaven, which means that he is not only compassionate, but he is capable. He possesses all power and authority in the universe. He's our Father in heaven. Second, 
phrase, your name be honored as holy. Now, we've, we've all learned the Lord's Prayer, kind of the, the old way from the King James Version, hallowed be your name. There's nothing wrong with praying it that way. I pray it that, that, that way. But when we pray, hallowed be your name, we need to understand what we're praying. And this is a good translation of, of, of what Jesus is saying here. When we pray, hallowed be your name, it, we're praying, Lord, your name be honored as holy. The word hallowed means to set apart and to treat with the highest respect, to honor. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we, we are praying, Lord, may your, your name, Father, may your name be honored and treated with the highest respect and, and set apart as, as holy. God's name is his personhood. It is his very character. And so part of what we're praying, when we pray, hallowed be your name, or your name be honored as holy, is that we are, we are praying that his name would be honored as holy in our own lives. In our thoughts and in our actions, that in, in every way that, we, that God would be honored, that God's name would be treated as holy. You know, the, the whole reason that things go awry in life is when we get disconnected from that. I was reading in Romans 1 recently, and I was just struck by, you know, kind of how the whole dis- dysfunction and disorientation and everything that sin produces. But, but, but Paul says there that it, it kind of all goes back to one source. In Romans one twenty one. it says, they did not honor God as God or give thanks to him. That is the disorientation that produces every other disorientation. In, in, in life. That's at the heart of it. So part of what we pray, when we pray hallowed be your name, is that we are praying that we in our own lives would, would treat God as, as, as holy and set apart and with the highest respect. And of course, that means obedience, right? But part of what we're praying, when we pray hallowed be your name, is we're praying a missionary prayer. We are praying that God's name would be hallowed and treated as holy throughout all the earth. When Paul talks about his his mission and our mission as believers at the beginning of Romans, how does he express that in Romans 1.5? He says, through him... We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, what? For the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. So, what is the ultimate reason that we do missions? It's for the honor and glory of his name. Because we want people throughout the earth to know him and to love him, and to praise him, and to give honor and glory to him. That's why John Piper, in his classic book on missions, Let the Nations Be Glad, says missions exist because worship doesn't. 
And so we do missions because we want every tribe and tongue throughout the world to join in the worship and the praise of our great God. We want his name to be hallowed throughout the, the earth. The third phrase in the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do we mean when we pray this? Part of what we're praying for here is that we're praying for something to happen that hasn't yet happened. Part of what we're praying when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is that we are praying for the return of Christ. When earth and heaven will be one. When there will be a new heaven and earth. And truly, what is done in heaven will be done on earth. They will be, they will be one and God's will will be perfectly realized here on this earth. So part of what we pray for when we pray that petition is that we are praying that Christ would come again. And that the new heaven and earth where God's will is done perfectly, that, that, that where, where all the wrongs are righted would come about. That's, that's part of what we're praying, but that's not the entirety of what we're praying. This also has a present dimension to it. We are praying that God's rule and reign, his kingdom, would be seen now in and through our lives. We are praying that God's will would be done in and through our lives right here, right now. New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, expresses the desire that the acknowledgement of God's reign and the accomplishment of his purposes take place in this world even as they already do in God's throne room. And guys, we need to remember that when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are committing ourselves to a couple of things. First of all, when we pray that prayer, we're committing ourselves to, to know the will of God to the extent that we can know it. And what that means is digging into our Bibles so that we understand better the character of God and the promises of God and the revealed will of God. We're also committing ourselves when we pray that prayer, not only to knowing the will of God, but to doing the will of God. To putting our yes on the table, to do the will of God as he reveals it to us. Now I want us to talk this morning, um, a couple of applications here about um, some final thoughts. First of all, how to use the Lord's Prayer. How to use the Lord's Prayer. What role should the Lord's Prayer play in our, our lives today as, as believers? Should we memorize the Lord's Prayer and, and learn to, uh, to recite it? Or should we use the Lord's Prayer as sort of a, a framework for our own prayers? Well, the answer is 
yes. <laughs> it's, it's both of those things, okay? First of all, I absolutely believe that we should memorize the Lord's Prayer and that we should recite it thoughtfully. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't do any good if we just kind of mindlessly say words. But, but we should learn to memorize it and we should recite it thoughtfully, thinking about the words that we're, that we're saying. It's interesting, in, in Luke 11, when Jesus gives this prayer, the context there is that his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says to them, when you pray, say. And the word say there can also be translated really as recite. You have to remember Jesus is Jewish. And his earliest followers were, 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 were Jews. The people on that hillside that day as he's speaking the Sermon on the Mount, they're Jewish for the most part. Well, well Jews were very used to memorizing prayers and reciting prayers. So that, that would not be unfamiliar to them a, at all and throughout Christian history. I mean, every group of, 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 of believers uh, has recited, has said the Lord's, the Lord's prayer. And, and so there's, there's a reason for that. Yes, 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 we should memorize and we should recite the Lord's prayer thoughtfully. Absolutely, that should be a part of our, our Christian lives. However, I believe Jesus is also giving us this prayer as a framework for our own prayers. We need frameworks. <laughs> we tend to flounder in life without frameworks, without tracks to run on. And so the Lord's Prayer is kind of like a scaffolding, a, a framework that, that gives structure to our own prayers, and especially in prayer. We tend to flounder if we don't have a framework. I mean, how many times have you, have you come before God with the intention to spend time with Him in prayer, and you suddenly find yourself after a couple of minutes, you're spacing out. You, you know, your mind's going, you start, your mind starts going in a thousand different directions, and you're, you're thinking about what you've got to do uh, later in the day, or thinking about picking up your stupid phone, or, you know, whatever. I mean, like, we, we tend to, we have a hard time as human beings, like, sustaining a focus on God, especially if we don't have a framework. So the Lord's Prayer, it can be an incredible framework, and the way that you use it as a framework is that as you pray it, for each phrase of the Lord's Prayer, that becomes sort of like a springboard into your own prayer. So for instance, if you were using it as a framework, you say, our Father in heaven, God, thank you for being my Father. I thank you for adopting me. Thank you for the work of Christ that made it possible for me to become your child. Thank you for your compassion, that you were a perfect father, that you know all of my needs and that you, that you care for me with, the, with, with tender mercy and that that's who you are. Thank you for being my father. Thank you for being my father in heaven. 
that you are not only compassionate, but you are capable, and that all power and authority in this universe are yours. That I'm, I'm, I come before now the, the one who has the, the power to answer prayers, and you praise him for his power. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, your name be honored as holy. So God, I pray that, that your name would be treated as holy in my own life and in my, my thought life and in my actions and in my, 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 my words today that, that, that I would, would, would hallow you and, and, and treat you with the highest respect and, and, and set you apart as holy. And, 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 and Father, I pray that, that your name would be revered throughout the earth and you use that as a basis of praying for, for, for missionaries that are seeking to spread the glory of God throughout the earth. So you see, you, you, you can take each phrase of the Lord's prayer and let that be a framework and a jumping off point as you commune with the Lord in, in prayer. So it's also just an incredible framework for our prayers and just a, a way to, to like to, 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 to guide us and give us a track to run on as we, as we pray. So that, those are a couple of ways that we can use it. Second, note the God-centeredness of the Lord's Prayer. I mean, think about, think about just these two verses that we've dug into today. Think about the language here. It starts with our Father. And then, what are the petitions that we pray? Your kingdom come, right? Your name be honored as holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It is about God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. It is not about our name, our kingdoms, or our will. The Lord's Prayer removes us from the center of the picture, and it puts God there. God is central. Christianity is not about adding a little Jesus to our own agenda. It's about us getting on God's agenda. It's not about, you know, us saying that, well, well we want Jesus to, be, to, have a, to have a role in our life drama. No, it's about us getting our lives into his drama of redemption and being swept up in that as people that he has redeemed and as people that he has called to be his agents in this world. How much more exciting is that than self-focused narcissism? How much greater, how much more exciting is it to be swept up in God's grand drama of redemption and to know that we have been redeemed and now he has given us a role to play in this drama of redemption, of making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being our Father. We thank you for the, the work of Christ that has made that possible. And Lord, we, we pray today for anyone in this room who doesn't yet know Christ and therefore doesn't know you as their Father. 
We pray that you would speak to hearts and open hearts to see your great love for them, which is expressed in in Christ and his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead, and that you would enable people to turn, to repent from living self-focused lives and and to turn to Christ and to know him and honor him and trust him as Savior and, and Lord. Father, we pray for, for all of us as believers. We, we pray that, that this prayer would become deeply, deeply uh, in, ingrained in our lives. Lord, our, our tendency is, to, is not to rely upon you, but to rely upon ourselves. Lord, teach us to live lives of prayer, constant dependence upon you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.